There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. You know, it's not that I hate the month of August. It's just I hate the fact that I don't have a swimming pool. And on days like today, when it's like 103, 104 degrees outside, it is just plain miserable. And it also creates all kinds of havoc for people that have to handle wine or store wine or collect wine. So I want to spend a little time today talking about heat and wine. It's something you need to be very aware of because just one bad day, just one bad day could destroy a whole lot of bottles that you have in your wine collection or you just have sitting in your house. I want to start by telling you a story, and this goes back about six years ago. I had just moved to our town, and I went to a fundraising dinner where they had all these auction items. And one of the items that really caught my attention was a mixed case of wines from a winemaker whose wines I had not tasted before but had a great reputation. Well, I managed to put in the winning bid, and it was really a a great bargain, by the way. And I took the case of wine home proudly, and a couple of days later, I pulled out a bottle that I thought would be pretty interesting, and it was pretty terrible. It was absolutely awful, and I thought, what the heck? So I just set that bottle aside, and I reached into the case, and I pulled out another bottle, uncorked it, poured it in the glass. It was terrible, too. Well, I opened probably four or five bottles before I realized probably what had happened to this case of wine. You know, with fundraisers, you always have people that go out and, you know, collect things for the silent auctions and the live auctions. And I can only imagine that somebody had gone to this winemaker and got them to donate a case of wine and then put it in the trunk of their car when it was blazing hot outside. And in the trunk of the car, you know, it can get way in excess of 100 degrees. And in a situation like this, an entire case of wine could become cooked. And that's exactly what happened. I opened every single bottle in the case and everyone had been destroyed. Now, what got me reminiscing about this experience is that yesterday, right at the moment that it was most hot yesterday, the power went out. And I have about 3,000 bottles of wine in my possession. And it was like today, well in excess of 100 degrees outside. 
And the power wasn't out just for a few minutes. It was out for three hours. And by the end of that third hour, it was starting to get pretty warm in that room. Now, I kept the doors shut. And luckily, I was able to keep it, I think, in the the low 70s. And I'm sure that no damage was done. But had this persisted, had the power outage begun earlier in the day, there's a good chance I could have lost a whole lot of wine. Thank goodness that didn't happen. The power came on and we were able to get things cooled down. So I really, really want to focus on how important it is to manage your wine where heat is concerned. Because when your wine gets too hot, it literally does cook. And it goes through a transformation that is really, really unpleasant. Here's some of the things that will happen. First of all, the tannins will become more pronounced. There'll be some really increased and unpleasant acidity with the wine. The wine will become more rough tasting. The fruit will become incredibly flabby, if not non-existent, depending upon just how hot the bottles get. And I, I kind of liken it to those cans of green beans that my mother used to put on the stove and boil until they were kind of a greenish gray. And, and they had lost all of their, well, they didn't have character to begin with when they went into the can, but they lost all of their character. And it just tasted so overcooked and terrible and stewed. And this is exactly what happens to your wine when the temperatures where your wine is being stored certainly get into the high 70s and low 80s. And if it gets any hotter than that, you're in a lot a lot of trouble. You're not going to have that smooth and soft mouthfeel. This wine is going to taste absolutely terrible on your palate. And not to mention the fact that when a bottle of wine gets really hot, the wine expands and it'll even literally pop the cork out of the bottle. I've actually had this happen where I forgot that I had bottles of wine in my car and the corks popped in the car and the wine just spewed out everywhere. Now, ideally with your wine, you want to keep the temperature in the room where the wine is being stored somewhere close to cellar temperature. And that's going to be in the low 50s to not more than about uh, 62 to 65 degrees. After that, it starts to become dicey, especially when you get in excess of 70 degrees. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't keep my home at 70 degrees. Well, I'm sorry about that, but when you get beyond 70 degrees, you're taking some chances. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about some of the things that you can do to prevent this from happening. And the first thing is this, is that you want to keep your wine as far away from light and windows as possible. I've seen people literally take their bottles of wine and put them in the windowsill. No, don't do that because the bottle acts like a magnifying glass and, and it'll heat up the wine even more than the temperature in the room. So the first thing is, is to keep it in a dark place. And hopefully it's a cool place. If you've got a basement, you definitely want to put it there. If you've got a closet that uh, it doesn't back up against an exterior wall, that can be a good place to put it as well. And as weird as this sounds, if you're really concerned, you can throw a bunch of blankets on top of the wine and it'll insulate it to some degree. But th probably the easiest thing to do is to go down to a store like Walmart or Target or Lowe's or Home Depot 
All four of those stores carry some pretty terrific wine refrigerators, and they're really not expensive. I've seen them for around $400. It really depends on how many bottles you want to put in the refrigerator, but it is money well spent. Even if you get one of those small refrigerators, a lot of those will hold three to four cases of wine. There are larger ones. You might spend, you know, seven or eight hundred dollars for one of those, and it might hold a hundred and twenty or more bottles of wine. And for most people, that's going to be sufficient. But if you've got some very special wines, especially some older wines that you might be concerned about, best thing to do is when there's a heat wave, put those wines in the refrigerator. The older wines are going to be much more fragile much more susceptible to going bad, and you just don't want to take that risk. By the way, and just as an aside here, if you open a bottle, particularly of red wine, and you don't finish it, and you don't have a way to protect the wine with you know some kind of a vacuum system or preservation system, then you should also put it in the refrigerator because the cool in the refrigerator will really suppress any damage or oxidation that occurs with the wine. But I digress. Anyway, if you're transporting wine from a store, never, never, ever, ever put it in your trunk. You want to make uh, the store that you go to to buy wine your very last stop before you get home and take your wine and put it on the passenger seat where the AC is just blowing onto the wine and you're going to be absolutely fine. Now, when we get into the next segment, I'm going to talk a bit about creating your own homemade wine cellar. And this is going to be like a really simple, inexpensive thing that you can do. You know, wine cellars can typically cost tens of thousands of dollars. They don't have to. And I'm going to show you how you can do it and get off really super cheap. Uh, We're going to be back with Grape Encounters in just a minute. But I do want to remind you that Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. And I'll tell you what, you will never go into a Total Wine and More store when it isn't absolutely cool. And not only is the temperature in the store cool, but the store itself is cool. They've got an incredible selection of wines, 8,000 wines to be exact, a multitude of beer and spirits, and they take such good care of the products that are in the store. So it's a really safe place to buy wine. And, and by the way, with the temperatures as hot as they are, have the experts at Total Wine point you to some wines that are, are really, really delicious in this kind of heat, some of the amazing rosés that they have, you know, perhaps a little sweeter whites that they have, things that just have a little touch of sweetness are so nice. And when they're served ice cold, they can be just delicious. So for more information on a Total Wine and more store near you, just go to TotalWine.com. There's lots of other cool and interesting things there as well. I'm going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. The Oregon Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from authentic wine cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, 
Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. Back with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from our wine country studio in beautiful Atascadero, California, where at this time of year it's pretty hot, but that's really good for the grapes. But it's also a good reminder that you should really take care of your wine and don't let your wine get too hot because heat is one of wine's greatest enemies, if not its number one enemy. So please take care of that. Hey, if you want to know more about our incredible town here at Atascadero, go to visit Atascadero.com. It's a great place to visit, and the grapes are getting ripe right now, and if you have any chance of coming here around harvest, which actually is going to begin in a matter of weeks, please do come here. It's visitatascadero.com. Now, I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. It happened uh, just about like three or four days ago. I had stopped to get gas at a place that has, you know, one of those really, you know, pretty large convenience stores attached to the gas station. I know in some states you you can't buy beer and wine and, and, and things like that in a convenience store, but at our gas stations, you can buy a lot of different wines. And this particular store has an entire wall, a huge wall of wines. And there are some pretty formidable wines on that wall, some really, really, really good labels. But the thing is, is when I, when I walked in there, the temperature had to be somewhere between 85 and 90 degrees, I would say. And they had a handwritten sign that said, please keep the door shut. AC is not working. And I asked them, I said, how long has the AC been out? And they said, oh gosh, it's been a week now. We just can't get anybody out here to fix it. Now, 
you know, that's an unfortunate circumstance because it's, you know, it's not their fault exactly that the AC went out. But there are places that I've walked into that sell wine where literally the temperature is every day of the week during the summer, you know, somewhere in that 80 plus range. And it doesn't even occur to the owners of these stores that their wine is most likely dead. And for a lot of consumers, you could buy a bottle of that wine and take it home and you would just conclude by drinking the wine that, well, you know what, this isn't a very good wine because the damage that's done to wine isn't always so obvious uh, when it comes to heat. You can mistake it for just being a bad wine and a lot of people do. So if you go into a store and it's warm in the store, don't buy the wine. It's just a, a really super big mistake and you know, even a couple of days of exposure to heat like that during the summertime is not, not, not a good thing. All right, so I told you I was going to talk about a homemade wine cell. And it's literally something that you can do yourself. I built my own wine cellar when I had uh, my second to the last house that I had. And it was a doozy of a wine cellar. It would seat exactly 19 people. Don't ask me why 19, but that was the most I could ever get in there. And it could hold um, uh, three to 4,000 bottles of wine, although I didn't have that many. And I built it for a song. There was just this little room under the house that had a full-size doorway, and the ceiling height was probably about eight feet in there, maybe a little higher than that. And the thing is, is that the framing down there, there wasn't drywall in that room. Now, in that particular case, I just went out and I purchased these large sheets and you can get them at your building store like Home Depot or Lowe's, these large sheets of styrofoam. And they make an incredible insulation. Well, first you can put insulation in between the studs if you don't have drywall there. And then you put this styrofoam on top of it. And then you want to cover that up with anything from drywall to uh, tongue and groove siding, which looks really super nice. But anything just to make it pretty could even be paneling for that matter. And then you put your wine racks in there. That styrofoam is very inexpensive. The wall covering can be very inexpensive. The insulation doesn't really cost anything. And by the way, you don't have to do that. But in the case where you just have a large closet, maybe it's a walk-in closet in a guest room that you're not using, you can just go in and you can just cover the entire wall with a styrofoam material and then put another covering on top of that. And you can literally get off for uh, just a few hundred dollars by doing that. A lot of people will just take a linen closet and they'll do that very same thing. And it works really well. Now, you're probably thinking, well, how do you keep it cool? And I'm not doing a pitch for Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware or whatever, but you can go into most any store like that and they now have these, and you've seen them, these portable air conditioning units, and they work super good. And I've seen those for as low as $300. And you just have to have some way to vent it out. You know, you can vent it out to your garage if there's an, uh, some kind of way that you can find an opening, or maybe there's even a, a window in that room, you can vent it out that. But those ACs, you can just program them to the, the temperature that you're looking for, turn it on and forget it. And I guarantee you that it's not going to run for a really super long time because once the temperature gets nice and cool in there and the temperature of your bottles gets down to about 55, 60 degrees, it retains that coolness for a super long time and it works really well. So, you, you know, you've got like a few hundred dollars in building materials and a few hundred dollars in an AC unit and compared to, you know, building the 10000 or $20,000 wine cellar, this works really, really incredibly well. 
And my cellar really stayed all the time at about 57, 58 degrees, which was really super nice. And uh, I used to invite my friends over to play poker in there. We had a big harvest table and I would uh, pass out jackets to them and would sit in there for hours. And the colder they got, the more hands that I would win because I um, was very acclimated to that cool but anyway, that's how you you make a, a homemade wine cellar. And you can actually go online. There are a lot of people that have instructions for other ways of doing it as well. But the main thing is keep it dark, keep it cool. Anything that's on an outside wall is going to heat up a lot faster. Uh, light is definitely an enemy of wine. And insulation is super important. And by the way, if you are putting your wine cellar in a closet, something like that, that has a regular door, make sure that that door isn't a hollow core door meaning that it's just got thin layers of uh, veneer on either side of the door. A lot of the doors that you can buy for probably $50, $60 actually do have some sort of insulation in the door, styrofoam or uh, some other thing like that. So you can get a door that is as insulated as what you did inside this enclosed area. So that's my tip for you. And hopefully that'll be helpful because if you're collecting any amount of wine whatsoever, you really want to keep it safe. And I, I just was so reminded of how important that is when yesterday I came close to a wine overheating crisis thanks to our power company. And we just don't want that to happen. All right, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters in a minute. I was talking about canned wines a couple of times earlier on in the past month or so. And one of the things that I was really pushing for was a comparison, a blind tasting comparison between canned wines and wine in a bottle and just wondering how well these wines and cans would show. Well, I've got an expert who has done exactly that. And we're going to talk to him next on Grape Encounters Radio. Hey, you know what? Maybe you don't need a wine cellar. Maybe you just need Total Wine and More because they've got more bottles than any of us could ever store in a wine cellar. So whenever you need something, you can just stop into your local Total Wine and More. They've got a lot of stuff online as well at TotalWine.com. It is my absolute favorite wine retail store. And if you haven't been into a Total Wine and More store, you haven't lived. Hey, check them out and stick with us because we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. We've got to take a breather for a minute or two. Don't go away. Remember, if we don't let the wine breathe... It's impossible for the show to be done in good taste. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy Malbec. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine and More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. 
Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine, and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now we're going to revisit a topic that we've talked about a couple of times in the past couple of months, and I find it extremely fascinating because it's something that wasn't on my radar for a long time. We've been doing this show for, gosh, we're in our 11th year, and I can tell you this, that uh, 11 years ago, I wouldn't have even talked about wine in cans. What? Wine in cans? I mean, even like six or seven years ago, there were just a few of them that I could find, but now it's all the rage. And I've got on the line today Robert Williams Jr., PhD. He is a professor of marketing and co-founder of WICresearch.com, and also his wife Helena is on the line with us as well, and she also is a PhD. First of all, welcome. Hello, we're glad to be here and talk to you about our wine in a can research. Well, the reason I wanted to have you guys on is we've had your colleague on a couple of times and talked about the incredible proliferation of wine in cans, but the thing that I wanted to drill down and get my arms around is Okay, so we've got a lot of winemakers who are putting wine in cans, and I've got a lot of winemaker friends who are doing it as well. But what I really have been curious about is how do these wines that are being put in cans measure up against a wine that's in a bottle. I mean, a while back when the screw caps became so popular, everybody was looking at, well, does a screw cap wine taste as good as a corked wine? But a wine with a cork in it, corked in the classic sense. And we quickly learned that there was really no difference. In fact, maybe a better chance of those wines with screw caps surviving and staying pristine. But the wine in a can, you know, it's like, I guess I've been on this earth too long and I can remember when things in cans imparted a certain kind of flavor that I found a little bit unpleasant. So you contacted me, Robert, because you had heard one or both of the shows that I did and you guys have done some blind tastings. So let's talk about it. Well, it's quite interesting. I'm I'm with you in that a couple of years ago, I was not even aware of this, and I happened to go to our supermarket, which was Weiss Foods, and I went in and I saw this little can of Volacini wine. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I'm a marketer, and I look at the classic four Ps, one of which is packaging. And so I brought it into class and shared it with my class, and we talked about it. And so we started to develop what the potential of wine in a can would be 
looking at new product introduction, product life cycle, branding, and all the classic positioning type things. And I started noticing that there were more of these wine in the cans around. And so I started collecting some, and then I started to have my students in class do some surveys and do some research and background on the different players. And it began to snowball, and my wife, Helena, was doing work at Texas Tech University, and they have a wine marketing research institute. So, of course, she was involved with the wine industry, and she said, we need to have a legitimate survey. And so we crafted some questions and got an IRB and did some pre-tests and did all the things that academic people do, and we did a survey. And the results of that survey were quite interesting to the point that we thought, well, these results are not going to go over well with the wine industry because, for example, we found that subjective wine knowledge was not a factor. And the common perception was that people that had a great deal of wine knowledge, as one columnist on the East Coast put it, they wouldn't be caught dead drinking from a wine in a can. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and our research showed they understood what wine in a can was. It was not a cellared bottle for 10, 15, 20 years, but it confirmed that the six drivers of this market, which was convenience and the occasion expansion, those were the two main things that because the packaging allowed greater convenience and more locations to drink it, that those two drivers, along with the other four, could outweigh any of the other issues that a traditional bottled wine might have. So, for example, the third factor is sustainability and cost savings. Now, our research might show that older generations don't care as much about sustainability, but younger wine drinkers are in 100% on, on the sustainability factor. We found that quality was actually improved because there's less oxygen, there's no glass that the light can get through, so there were some quality benefits. We found the fifth factor, the fact that these were portion control sizes, so you could drink a single serving of wine if you opened a 187 milliliter can. You could go for a 250 milliliter or 375. So there was a variety that you could have. Instead of opening five different bottles, you could try five different cans. And the last thing, the last motivator, was this visual image and the branding that had sprung up around cans whether you shrink wrap a label, whether you direct print. Right. And all of those six drivers meant that the market as a packaging aspect of wine was shifting towards wine and cans. And that's when we decided to do our third survey and the blind taste test. All right. So I really want to now get to, for me, what is the meat and potatoes of this discussion, which is, so now if I put wine in cans in a glass and poured it next to a wine that came out of a traditional bottle with a traditional cork in the bottle, just how 
would people react to it? You know, that was sort of the missing link for me when we've had this discussion, you know, a couple of times as I want to get to that. But listen, I, we're going to take a, a, a quick break in just a second here. So we won't get into it too much. And I do want to say that one of the things that your colleague Alan had brought to my attention is our sponsor, which is Total Wine and More has like, like something like 300 different canned wines. And that was actually shocking to me because I would have guessed that there aren't even that many wines in cans, but there's just a gazillion, right? Well, actually, I have a database, and it's getting close to 400 different wineries who offer 990 SKUs of canned wine. Holy smoke. That is that is amazing. And growing. And it's growing. It's growing uh, by leaps and bounds. By the way, that estimate about Total Wine and More, I think he was just counting off the website. I don't uh, actually know how many they really do have. I'm sure they've got a lot more than that, knowing them. But I I do think it's pretty exciting. You know, we've been talking earlier in the show about heat, and I think it's exciting that you could go to a place like Total Wine or whatever and grab wine in cans, throw it in an ice chest, throw some ice in there, but you know, rosés or, you know, crisp whites off to the beach and you don't have the babying that you have to do with a regular wine. I think that's just an interesting twist. And I must say I'm a traditionalist a little bit. I'm a little bit hesitant. I'm going to be honest with you, well, but I still... And David, you'll, you'll be surprised. So living here in Pennsylvania, we have the uh, Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, which controls the wine. I tend to drive down to the Baltimore area to go to Total Wine and More because they have a wider selection. I was in there doing some research, counting the different varieties and this elderly gentleman, let's just say he's probably over 70, rushed in, went right to the shelf, grabbed a four-pack, and went back to the cash register. And I followed him to ask him, because he knew exactly what he was doing. Huh. He had another selection of other things on, on the conveyor belt. And I asked him, and he said his wife loves the fact that she can drink just a can when they're out on the bay or fishing, so on. And he can consume whatever he wants to consume without having to use a larger quantity. All right, we're going to be back with two doctors, Dr. Robert Williams, Ph.D. I, well, that was redundant. Uh, Robert Williams, Ph.D., and also Helena Williams, Ph.D., and uh, they're from WICresearch.com. They're based out of Pennsylvania. Oh, and one last thing before we break. i got to be sure to tell you about a brand-new podcast that we just launched. It's called The Wine is Talking. You're going to find some very gritty and off the mainstream topics that you're not going to hear anybody talk about anyplace else. I assure you, you're going to find this very, very interesting material. We wanted to give you something that goes beyond Grape Encounters, and you probably thought there was nothing beyond Grape Encounters. Well, The Wine is Talking definitely takes you there, and you got to start listening. We've got the first four episodes up, new episodes coming every week. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, or you can just listen to it at thewineistalking.com. Thewineistalking.com, it'll take you where your wine life has never taken you before. And The Wine is Talking is also brought to you by Total Wine and More. Back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. 
summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine More. Cheers. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. Hey, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. My guests on the line right now are Robert Williams Jr., Ph.D., and Helena Williams, Ph.D., and they're with WICResearch.com. And over the past couple of months, we've talked a couple of times about wine and cans. And the one thing that I really wanted to drill down on was I wanted somebody to talk to me about blind tasting comparisons, wine and cans versus wine in a traditional wine bottle. And you guys have some info on that. So let's just jump into that now, okay? Great. I actually really wanted to do this. I'm also a classically trained chef, and I really am interested in the quality of the wine and the pairings and the tastings. And so it was great that we were doing all this academic research telling us about marketing potential and segments of the market. But I wanted to know, really, what does this taste like? What are people saying? And so we put out a request to wineries who were able to give us the same exact wine that they put in a bottle and put in a can. Oh, I see. And not everyone does that, but there are a number of wineries that we were in touch with that were able to tell us the exact same juice is in the can and in the bottle. So we took those wines and we used a Chardonnay, dry Riesling, a dry Rosé, and then a sweet Moscato. And we did a series of tastings where people would tell us whether it would taste the same 
came or whether they preferred A, B, or there was no difference in the can. It was blind tasting. Interesting. Right? So we set that up. We also kind of made sure everything was research appropriate and it was kind of exciting for us to see what people were going to say. So I'll let Robert tell you some of our results. All right. Well, we set it up and the uh, information that I presented at Wines and Vines showed a column of those who preferred the bottle. And so we had the four different wines plus overall. We had a column for who preferred a can, same four and overall. And then who preferred no difference. It tasted the same for wines and overall. And for our first go-round, we decided to combine a preferred can or no difference. Because what that meant to us was I really couldn't tell any difference in the packaging. I either preferred the can or I couldn't tell any difference. So we lumped those two numbers together. Now, I'm sure some people may want to lump numbers the other way, and that's why we published the numbers, um, you know, all the detail. And what we found out was that the people that preferred a bottle indicated 48.5% of the time of of the respondents. And those who said that they preferred a can or they couldn't tell any difference was 51.1%. Really? Really. And (laughs) now there were differences between the wines. For example, a dry Riesling and a dry Rosé, they either preferred a can or no difference, whereas the dry Chardonnay and the Moscato were were pretty, almost pretty equal, 51.1 and and 52.3. So those are almost equal. Wow. I'm going to take your word for it. I can tell you I have very little experience with wine and cans, but I'm going to definitely uh, dig in a little bit. I will say this, that I remember one of the really early entries was Coppola's Sophia, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't, that, right. wasn't that a pretty pretty early end, entry? And, and I remember tasting that a couple of times and going, hey, this is pretty darn good. This is pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. Can you carbonate wines and can as well? I guess they, they can, right? Oh, lots of sparklings. And yeah, they do carbonate. And car- carbonate well. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, there was a press release that you just sent me, and I, I wanted to squeeze that in. Robert, you want to jump in on that? Sure. So we decided you know, to put some of this information out. I periodically send out some information, and a lot of what I sent out was a repetition of what was presented at the conference. For example, we found out when we asked the question, have you tried wine in a can before? Really, 50-50. 50% said exactly. yes, really? and 50% said no. However, out of those people that had tasted wine in a can, 63.6% of the male testers said that they had tried wine in a can, while only 48.3% of females had tried it. So I know there's this perception out there that this is targeted toward female and millennials, but our research is showing it's very broad-based and it's not very narrow that way. Now, we just have a minute or two left, but I also wanted to jump in on this flyer that you shared with me from VinSafe. Yeah. They've been working on technology for a super long time. I don't necessarily understand everything about this. Can you simplify this for me? Certainly. Well, VinSafe started with wine and cans back in 1996, which is really the latest generation. And their research showed them that it's the combination of the lining inside the can, the wine, and the correct packaging. And they spent a lot of time on those three aspects. Their wines, as you'll notice from their flyer, even four and five years old, win medals. And they're winning medals not just against cans, they're winning medals against bottles. Well, that's crazy. And will, will wine age in a can? 
Not really. The wines in the can are meant to be consumed more recently. They're more of a fresher wine. So the majority of wine consumption is done, well, some people say 24 hours, some people say a month, but done very, very quickly. And then there are the people that age the bottle. So wine in the can doesn't really age, but the VinSafe technology claims to have a very long shelf life. Wow. It doesn't deteriorate at all. No, and they're bringing that to the U.S. They've been selling it in Europe and New Zealand and Australia, but now they're bringing it to the U.S., and that's what that flyer is. And so uh, it will make things quite interesting. Well, the folks in New Zealand and Australia are much more open-minded, I think, than Amer- <laughs> Americans were more welcome. I mean, they they were the ones who uh, really started the screw cap that's right. you know, that's right. phase of, <laughs> well, of, of wine bottling. I agree, and, and that goes with one of the things that I and a number of people have said. If you put good wine in packaging, you have good wine. If you put bad wine in packaging, you have bad wine. And so I think... Uh, to a little extent, our blind taste test lends credence to that, that it's not so much the packaging that is making the difference, but it really does come down to the wine quality itself. All right, Robert Williams and Helena Williams, thanks for sharing the information. It's really, really eye-opening, and that is going to do it for Grape Encounters today. By the way, you could go to WICresearch.com. There's lots of cool information over there. In the meantime, this show is in the can, and we will be back at the same time next week. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes, so why not hunt them down at GrapeEncounters.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounters Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay. We have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles.